Uh, normally, I'd tell you what text to turn to because uh, we study. Uh, we like to go through uh, expositional passages of the Bible, or at least uh, scripturally, we go through sections of, of Scripture together. Uh, t- today, for the end of this new year, we're going to do this a little bit differently. Uh, I really, I'm going to end this this year by just th- focusing on some theme ideas related to Scripture to help us just with a fresh outlook. Uh, to next year. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this this morning topically as it relates to the new year. Um, you know, when we say we're starting a new year 2019, I know some of you never thought that you would see this year, right? You just say the word 2019, all of a sudden your bones just feel old. Don't <laughs> it's like 2019, I am, I am so angry. I'm supposed to be coming to church on at least a hoverboard, if not a flying car already, all right? That Marty McFly lied to me. <laughs> it's like 2019, you say that, you're like, can we just stop? and wait. And then others look at 2018. You're like, no, but I want to get rid of last year. There's a lot of emotions that come with with a new year. And, uh, you know, some people like to take this time of year and think of resolutions. Some people are not big on resolutions. Either way, a new year is a time for a fresh start, sort of a year to set set a reset for um, for your life and to think about some things that you would like to see happen next year. Uh, so you can crush it, right? 2019 and all that it represents, whether vacations, bucket lists, habits you want to break, personal goals for your life. Uh, you know, I was reading through some of them, uh, some of the things people put on, on the internet for this year. Uh, if you're looking for some ideas, here, here's a few. Uh, one, one person wanted to get ahead of the game with their new hair growth, I guess. So they, they're more interested in maintaining their, uh, trimming their nose and ear hair. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Or one person on the next thing they purchase, they want to actually read the manual before they put it together. <laughs> good idea. Or, or consider taking up a new hobby such as procrastination, or maybe later, <laughs> that's a, that's a good one. Or, or realize this year that God loves you and embrace the fact that chocolate is the proof. Uh, I, I've been doing that my whole life. I like this one. Lose enough weight that my gut doesn't jiggle when I brush my teeth. <laughs> that's <a good> yes. <laughs> or, or here's one. Stop hanging out with people that ask me about my New Year's resol- resolution. You don't need a resolution when you're already perfect. <laughs> that was good. Or here's the last one. One guy's resolution was to, uh, to quit all of his bad habits, but then he realized nobody likes a quitter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, maybe you're not big into resolutions or, or looking at, at um, uh, the new year that way, but no one starts a new year thinking of, of all the ways uh, they could fail. The truth is, you don't need a new year to start something new, but a new year does give you a place to think about change. And as you look at 2019 and all that it might hold for you, I, I think it's good for us to pause as God's people and consider, what does God want? When you think about 2019 as it relates to your relationship with God, what might God want for your life? Or have you even stopped to consider how God fits into all of that. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, we all have great personal goals. Like maybe you want to fit into your college jeans again, <laughs> or, or maybe uh, control your spending or, or, or get a new job. But um, yeah, I, I think by far one of the most important questions that we consider in life is just to simply ask, why am I here? And, um, what does God want for my life? 
especially as you think about the beginnings of a new year. And, you know, I don't want this to sound fluffy, um, but, you know, I, I do want us to consider this. When, when it comes to God, um, he is a God that likes to do things new. And when you look throughout scripture, there are so many passages that refl- reflect that idea as it relates to God. And I think that's important for God's people because it gives us hope, right? If God wasn't a God that was about making things new, I would have given up a long time ago. But uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 says it like this. God, God in this passage, he's really fl- reflecting in this section of scripture, one on the Exodus, which we talked about last week. I don't want to dive into that again, but he's also thinking about how he desires to make things new because life, life today isn't the way God intended it to be. When God created, he created the Garden of Eden in perfection and relationship with him. And, and scripture tells the story of God wanting to make things new again. And, uh, and God is moving that way. And Isaiah 43, verse 18 says this, um, talking to Israel, he says, Do not call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will, will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I form for myself will declare my praise. God desires to make things new. You know, I even think as Christians, if you've walked with Jesus for some time, um, sometimes you get accustomed to that. But, you know, I think it's important to I only recognize that God wants to make things new. But as a believer, if you're feeling a little stale or maybe you're just on the shelf not being used for the Lord, um, God not only likes to make things new, but he's also a God that likes to renew. Uh, when you read through Scripture, David says this in Psalm 51 verse 10. He says, his prayer was, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Romans 12, Paul encouraged us, do not, be tra- uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or, or even Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 4, I love this verse, it says this, therefore we do not lose heart. I love that beginning statement because it's acknowledging that life is hard, but there is hope, right? So therefore, uh, do, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. God's not only in the business of making things new, but he's in the business of taking those things and continuing to renew them. Right? So to, to do something new or, or, or renew, this also means for us that something has to be different. Right? Um, I would say it like this in a very simplistic way, guys. God made you to be different. Uh, this world, this verse is acknowledging there is some adversity to this world. There's some challenges to this world. But because God is a God who makes things new and God calls you to belong to him, in belonging to him, God desires for you to be made new. And in order to be made new, that means, th- therefore, that we are to be different. To leave behind, as Isaiah said, the things of the past and to grab hold of what God calls us to in, in him. God wants to create a, a change within you. One of my favorite verses as it relates to this is 2 Corinthians, just a little bit before that section, that verse we just read. It says this, when you think about what is God's goal for my life in 2019, I, I can tell you it's the same goal as 2018. 
and really the same goal for your whole life. It says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. What he's saying in this passage is that God's goal for your life is really to conform you to the image of Christ. To make you new in this way. And and, and the way it describes it in this passage is moment by moment, what God is doing in you and pursuing Jesus. He's using moment by moment to conform you into his image. I I love the way Philippians chapter one, verse six, or yeah, one verse six says that he began a good work and you will bring it to completion. Like God knows you're not there yet. And God doesn't give up on you. But God desires to do that work in you, to make it new and to renew it on a, on a daily basis. Because we understand in this world there is a conflict, there is a struggle. But God wants to make things new. Now, often, the moment when we start to recognize that God wants to make things new, or if you've been a believer following after Jesus and you're familiar with that thought, um, we can get skeptical Sometimes we can doubt. We can even feel guilty. (laughs) I mean, in order to make things new, it also requires that we must acknowledge that things aren't the way that they should be. Like in my own life. God wants to renew in me, and the reason he wants to renew in me is because there is a struggle within me that I hold on to things that aren't about what he wants to do. They're contrary to him. And in seeing my own heart in conflict with God, the guilt of that, right? There can be a struggle in my inner man thinking like, God, like I, I, I see the way that you write these verses and all the optimism that comes with that. And that's good for everyone else. But is there really hope for me? I'm tired of failing. I'm tired of not being who I know you've called me to be, right? When you think about 2019 and those struggles, I think some, sometimes we don't like to think about that reset or those things of being made new, or honestly, because we get a little jaded about how things have gone. We struggle. So how, how do you find freedom from that guilt to look forward to a successful new year? You know, we can handle guilt as people in so many unhealthy ways that conflict with the renewing idea that God represents in scripture for us. And I thought about some of those this week when we think about the beginning of the new year. One is, um, you know, I think sometimes as people, we we recognize that we're often guilty. And and one of the things that we tend to do in that is we we deny our guilt. Um, and, And the reason I think we deny guilt is sometimes we don't know exactly what to do with it. So we ignore it, pretend like it doesn't exist. We sweep it under the rug, right? Or, or we pretend like guilt is not real because we've been abused by some sort of religious legalistic system. Um, you know, guys, one of the things I've noticed in life, um, there's a lot of people that uh, might claim to be atheists in this world, especially in an American context. But you know, when you talk to people that hold that claim, oftentimes I have found in having a conversation with them, they're, they're not really rejecting God. What they really reject is the idea of, of this God that they've concocted in their mind. And because they've seen God taught in a religious oppressive system, they often think that God is that way. He's a God that brings a lot of guilt, but no grace. 
And, and in their mind, they reject the idea of that God. They don't really rejecting God. They're rejecting the idea of that God. And, and, and you know, when we talk to people about you know, the rejection of that God, oftentimes we can come to them, like people that claim that there is no God and they're rejecting God. We find out why they reject God because they've created this monster image of who God is. Like when we talk to them, we can affirm, like, if that was who God was, I would not, I would not follow that God either, right? But you know, one of the ironies of, of rejecting a God because you don't like a certain system that places this guilt on you, like a religious system, I don't think religion is the answer. Um, but you know, one of the ironies of people that reject God because they don't like the guilt that represents maybe in religion and the God that it, repre- that it demonstrates um, is that by rejecting that God, they're honestly proving the existence of God. And here's the reason why is that anytime in life you recognize things aren't as they should be, and then you hold to a moral ought that they should be a different way than that, and you don't like it because they're not that way. Anytime you hold to a moral ought as if it should be universal, you're acknowledging a universal lawgiver. Someone has dictated what, what is right or wrong. And so anytime we disagree with something because it's not how it should be, we're acknowledging a, a universal moral lawgiver. And so therefore, in, in rejecting the idea of guilt because we don't like it, we're actually acknowledging the existence of, of a moral lawgiver or God. Because there's someone that has dictated it. And so, so rejecting guilt isn't, isn't an answer. In fact, it, it compounds the problem. But, but we tend to, sometimes we, we deny the fact that guilt exists or we attempt to conquer our guilt by trying to be better people, which works for like five minutes. <laughs> but what happens when you fail again? Or, or we, we deflect our guilt by comparing ourselves to others. We don't really know how to handle it with, with God, so we just compare ourselves to others to make ourselves feel better. Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't, uh, I yell at my kids, but at least I don't hit my kids. Or, um, you know, I may cheat on my taxes, but at least I didn't kill anybody, right? We, we try to justify ourselves by, by comparing ourselves to, to others. And when you study scripture, I mean, that, that story is as old as the Garden of Eden, um, Adam did that with Eve, like Adam sins. And he says to God, it was the woman that you gave me, right? She's more messed up than I am. And then, and then he was like, it was the serpent, right? Like he's more messed up than I am. We, we, we do that as people, we compare ourselves to avoid guilt. But the truth is that that really heaps more guilt because, because it identifies pride within us or it brings us to despair. We look down on those that don't do what we do. We get angry with those that don't do what we would recommend they should do because we think we're better. We get bitter at those that act better or that are different than us. So we, we compare ourselves to, to work through our guilt or, or, or maybe this last one I would say is we just get obsessed with it. Like we just fail and we don't know what to do about it. Obsessing over your failures leads to depression and, and despair. I mean, guilt Changing because of guilt is a horrible motivator. Um, that'll last temporarily. Um, but you, you look in, in the Psalms, David writes it like this in Psalm 32 verse 3. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For a day and a night, your hand was very heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the, the heat of the summer. You know what that's like, Right? You blow it, and that guilt just on your shoulders, what do you do with it? Obsess over it, 
become depressed by it. You don't even want to get up. You know, if you feel guilty about past failures in life, you know, I want you to know you're in, you're in good company. I mean, David walked that path. It's normal. I think it's normal to go through those experiences, but, but it's what you do with guilt that determines your health. God wants to do something new in you. Conform you to the image of his son. You, you can't be who everyone else wants you to be. But you can be who God has called you to be in him. Yet, even when you try to move toward who God has called you to be, you're not going to be perfect. I'm not a perfect pastor. But you know, the truth is, being a pastor is not who I am. It's just what I do. Who I am is is a child of a king. And in my failure, Jesus makes me whole. Guilt is something we all have to learn to deal with in a healthy way so that we can be who God has called us to be. So when we think about a new year like the one that's coming, you can answer the question, what, is, what does God want? When you consider it in Scripture, let me just give you four thoughts to think, when you approach this new year, four thoughts that I think helps us to move out of the idea of guilt, not to be a prisoner there, but to move into what God calls making things new or being renewed in Him. Uh, the first thing that I think is important for us to do is We've got to go to God in our guilt. In a sense, let God have it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says it like this. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit and of both joint and marrow. And able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. <laughs> so here's, here's the truth of the matter when it comes to guilt. God already sees your heart. <laughs> you aren't fooling him by avoiding him. <laughs> but you know, when you read a verse like this, this, this verse is, pretty, is a fairly scary verse, just a couple of verses if we just ended here. Because this is a God that has exposed you where you're at. And he's really, I just said to you, go to God in your guilt. He's going to call you in this passage to him. And when you read a verse like this, you're like, so, so what could happen? So you can see the wickedness of what is in there and really just do me in. I mean, like, like does God really want, does he know what he's asking here when he exposes my heart and that's laid bare? But this isn't a religious trick. It's just to guilt you. But it is to be aware of the reality that even in our guilt, it's not hidden from God. God is completely aware. He knows every failure of 2018, which is why the author then gives these next verses. He says this, verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Look at that, guys. It says, you know, when, you, when you go through guilt in life, the tendency is to run away from God because of the guilt. 
But he's saying in this instance, rather than run away, go fast to this confession. He is a great high priest. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who, was, who has been tempted in all things as, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Look at this, so that we may find and receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Why is coming to God in guilt a healthy step? Verses 14 to 16 tell you. So verse 12 to 13, you are laid bare. There is no hiding. And verses 14 to 16 then explains to you why then it, it calls you into God in this way. And, and the response in these verses tell us a few things about God, that he is very aware of your sinful condition. And, and, and on top of that, he is sympathetic toward your sinful condition. And in the midst of the struggle of our own heart, God is for you. God cares. That God wants you to go straight to him in confession. I love that. There are no hoops to jump. There is no process. There are no religious leaders between you and God. It's you and God. And the access to which you are granted because of what Jesus has done for you is directly before his presence. God knows. God knows and that's why he died. <laughs> And so God calls you in the midst of your own struggles into his presence because of what he has done for you. And what it's saying in this passage is that you get to come back to God and start a new year every day. That's what renewing is. Every day is this, this start over. When you're open to God about your sins, guess what you get? Gracious, patient, and loving. That's what these verses say. God is for you. So go to God in your guilt. And then I would say, be renewed in Jesus. He makes things new. First uh, John chapter two. Uh, I love first John. It's, it's um, one of the things that people get confused with over this chapter is, is really, or over this book, I should say, is who John is addressing. I think it's important for you to know, Christian, that who John is addressing is the Christian. <laughs> and when you get to this book, you, like you turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us uh, of our sins and all our unrighteousness. And in chapter 2, verse 1, in the likeness, he says this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you. Notice he calls you little children here, okay? My, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. This means he satisfies God's wrath. The word propitiation satisfies God's wrath and makes us right with the Lord. And so he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Um, and this is why this is, this is important to know that he's writing to believers. To say this, look, if you belong to Jesus... You belong to Jesus. There, there's nothing that can separate you. Romans 8 says this. Shall heights, shall depth, shall angels and principalities and powers, what can separate me from Christ? Nothing. 
That's the answer in Romans, Romans 8. That's what the author comes to. Nothing can separate you. You belong to Jesus. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, he seals you in his spirit. And that sealing is important. In, in Jesus' day, kings would seal documents. And it was considered official. And the only one that could break the seal was someone more powerful than the king. So when the king put something into law, it was in law. And it couldn't be broken. But when you think about that same sealing as it relates to God's people, when God seals you in him, what can break that? Shall height, shall depth, shall principalities and powers? No, nothing can separate you from the love in Christ Jesus. Nothing can. Nothing can separate you from belonging to Jesus. When Jesus paid for you, he paid it all. But here's what happens in life. In a family, like I have few boys and they get wild like for Christmas it was nothing but testosterone in every gift that they got and they've used those to beat each other up so far um, and then they get in trouble right and while I always love my kids there are difficulties that we go through that will often strain our relationship not drastic I mean they're little but every time there's sin present in relationship it creates distance and the goal of, of God is always reconciliation. I mean, that's what the cross is. God's reconciliation to you. He wants you with him. That is the best place you can be. Same thing with my kids. I am their father. I love them. And I think about the maturity of them becoming young men. And when I can walk life with them close, the more I can influence. And the more I can help them be the person that God has called them to be. But when sin's present, there's distance. And that's what 1 John 2 is saying. That you belong to him, but sometimes in life, sin's present in your relationship with God. Often in life, sin is present in your relationship with God. What do you do with that? You go to him in your guilt and you be renewed. God loves you. And God is for you. That's what 1 John 2 says. You, look, we don't want you to sin, but if you do sin, look at this. God is for you. What God desires to do in you is to make you new. He, he may not be for what you do, but he is for you. I, I love Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? In Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors in Christ. I, I, I like Lamentations 3 verse 22. He says this, his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Because if I didn't believe those verses, I, I would have quit in my walk with God a long time ago. I probably would have quit on life. But God is a God that renews. Go to God in your guilt. Be renewed in Jesus. And here's one that you don't do. Don't create double jeopardy. <laughs> Rather live in his promises. You guys know what double jeopardy is? Don't confuse that with Jeopardy Daily Double, okay? It's not the double Daily Double in Jeopardy, but, but Double Jeopardy, right? It's, that means when someone pays for a crime and then someone else comes and pays for that same crime. Uh, here, here's what the Bible says in, in Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like sometimes we sin in, in, in our lives and we feel like we've got to add something to what Jesus has already done for us. Jesus has paid for the crime. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
Jesus already paid for my sin. There is no double jeopardy. Rather walking in promises. Jesus is enough. The truth is, guys, when we think about being renewed in Jesus, guilt can often be the enemy of my sanctification. Meaning, by the word sanctification, what we're acknowledging in 2 Corinthians 3.18 is day by day, God wants to conform me into the image of his son. God's doing a work in me. My sanctification, is, there's a process in, in sanctification. It all, all belongs to God. It doesn't involve me and my strength. But guilt becomes the enemy of sanctification when I don't accept the sufficiency of Jesus for what he's already done on my behalf. Double jeopardy. Um, guilt is the enemy of my sanctification. And, and the, reason, the reason that it works in the hands of the enemy is that Satan wants your past and your present. Jesus wants your presence and he wants your present free from your past. Romans 8 means this for us. You don't have to be afraid to approach God. Rather, run to him. To give up on self, there's nothing that you can pay. He's already paid it. To give up on self and to give in to Jesus. And the last I would say is this. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Um, Romans 5.1 says this. Therefore, having been justified, that literally means being made right. Having been made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have peace with God. Instead of denying guilt, instead of making resolutions due to guilt, instead of looking down on others to feel better about yourself or obsessing over guilt, the process in Scripture is this, acknowledge your guilt and go to Jesus. Accept His love and forgiveness as you're renewed in Him, not double jeopardy. And walk in the newness of that peace. Let the peace of God rule your heart. Jesus is enough. Jesus paid for it all because he wanted to do something new in you. And he wanted to continue to renew you. Every new year presents an opportunity to grow in Christ. By one agreeing with God in my failures, turning it over to him because of the cross, and saying to him, God, not my will but yours be done. I think it's how we experience peace in our soul and freedom from guilt because Jesus is enough. And God knows you're not perfect and you won't be perfect. That's why I gave you the verses that we read today. These verses were born out of adversity in the struggle of humanity. However, at the same time, God wants to give you an incredible future by the sufficiency of Christ. And the promises of the cross on behalf of your life. So here's the encouragement. Some years can be real rear end kickers. <laughs> I want to encourage you, don't quit fighting. Don't quit fighting your battle to die to self. 
and to be made new in Jesus. Let God's grace renew you every day this year. His grace is available to you at any moment. If we would by faith, as this verse says, be justified in him. Go to God. Be renewed in Christ because of the cross. Let his cross be sufficient, not double jeopardy. And walk in the peace of a God who is for you. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.